If you got a Bible, turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 26. We're going to uh, look at uh, a message I entitled, Like Father, Like Son, The Life of Isaac. But uh, first, I wanted to mention, there is, uh, you guys remember Jonathan Domingo that came uh, some time ago and talked about the trafficking and the stuff going on in South America, and then we had a high school senior doing her senior project on the uh, same subject, and she has, has went to, I think, the Dominican Republic and went to a safe house there and, and um, kind of got to experience firsthand some of the stuff those, those kids go through. And um, she is actually, to complete her senior project, is going to do a self-defense class the week of the 22nd through the 27th, and it's free for anyone 12 years old and, and up. So if you're interested in that, let me know, and I, I'll get you in touch with Aaron Stepp. That's who's doing that. And then, uh, and then the fast and pray week. You know, a lot of people think, well, I'm, I ain't never done that, right? Fast and pray. And so when, when you fast and pray, you remember Jesus actually talked about it when uh, the disciples tried to cast out a demon, and they couldn't. And they asked, why couldn't we? He said, because this type only comes out by prayer and fasting, right? That when you come before the Lord and you deny yourself these fleshly lusts, which hunger is one of our greatest drive, right? Thirst, air, hunger, the top three. Um, when you deny yourself that and you seek the Lord, there's a power there. There's a power there uh, that God honors. And uh, if you look and you can read this, there's, there's the pamphlet out there, but it's found in Isaiah chapter 58, where he says, why do you fast? You fast to, to seek the Lord, to, to break bonds, right? To set the captives free. So it could be personal, you could be interceding on behalf of somebody when you fast and pray. We said, we're gonna do it for a whole week? No, you don't have to do it for a whole week. If you want to, you can. Uh, and somebody will ask me, well, Pastor Scotty, what are you going to do? I said, I ain't telling. <laughs> no, I will, I will, I will fast uh, several days uh, this week, uh, if not all. Uh, but it's powerful in your own life also. Because when you come to that place where you deny yourself, when you are tempted, if you've done that, People say, well, I don't think I can do that. And some of you, there's health issues. I realize that. You need to know kind of what your blood sugar does when you don't eat. Uh, but you don't have to fast just from food. Or you could fast from specific foods. You could fast, you could fast from sweets, right? You can do what they call a Daniel fast, right? You remember Daniel and his cronies, they ate, ate vegetables and drank water for 10 days. And... Um, you can do that. You can do, you can, I mean, today you can fast from all kinds, fast from media. Shut your cell phone off for a week. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so the fasting and prayer week, and then, and then we just wanted to create some opportunities for people to get together and, and fast. So we're going to open up the office from, from noon to one, uh, Tuesday through Friday, and then Thursday and Friday evening, if you could grab one of those evenings, um, we're going to be at the office praying as well. So if you want a really small meeting, just call for a week of fasting and prayer. <laughs> 
because they're really, really. But, uh, but we got a lot to pray for, folks, right? We, we may have a lot to pray for personally. We may have people that we desperately need to intercede for and, and pray and fast on behalf of them. Uh, I would like, hopefully, people would pray and fast for this body. Where does the Lord want us? We're kind of like a redheaded stepchild, uh, you know, uh, not, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring, which is cool because it keeps you trusting in Jesus. Um, so I don't know if I want to get stuck in any kind of a program or, or anything like that, but I would love the Lord's wisdom uh, for the future and vision. Um, our country, our, our community, um, and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I mean, there's, a, there's just so many things, and uh, we'll try to have a little bit of a guide to give you an idea. But I think most of the time, you guys, when it comes to something like this, the Lord is going to put on your heart those things that you need to bring before his throne. And it may be your own life. And uh, some, some strongholds may, may need to be broken in your life, and some habits uh, need to be done away with. And... Uh, the Lord is able to do that. And he's just looking for people who will humble themselves before him and seek him. And so let's do that now before we start our Bible study. Father, tonight or this morning, we thank you for um, your word and uh, the truth uh, that it uh, presents to us. And Lord, it's just uh, in everyday life of other humans that we read about. And Lord, we find ourselves there. And so today, I just pray that you would take uh, this man Isaac's life and Lord that we could learn some things and apply some things to our lives that we learn from him and uh, Lord thank you that your word it uh, it's it's always on the ready it's alive and it's sharp and it uh, it speaks to us and so may we have a ready ear to hear today in Jesus name amen amen so uh like father, like son, Isaac, we, uh, there's not, not nearly as much written about Isaac as there is about uh, Abraham, and so maybe a very famous father and a not-so-famous son. Sometimes that's the other way around. It's a very famous son and not-as-famous father, which we'll see with Jacob, right? Uh, we still talk about him today. Uh, I just mentioned him because his, his name was changed to Israel, and so... Uh, very, very famous, but all of man has the same trouble. You know, I think it was Job that told, told us, as sure as, fi as sparks fly upwards from a fire, so man is born to trouble. And, um, and so we see some things in, in Isaac's life here that, um, uh, that is troublesome, but it came from his father. The old saying, monkey see, monkey do. <laughs> so let's read. We'll read the first five verses here starting in, in chapter 26. And it says, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. So different famine. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines of Gerar. And then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not Go down to Egypt, live in the land of which I shall tell you, dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. 
for to you and your descendants I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. And so sounds familiar, don't it? Right? This is some of the same stuff that God was telling uh, Abraham. And so, uh, but a famine comes. A famine comes. What's he do? We're out of here. We're packing up. They head to Gerar. Now, it's interesting. I looked on the map. Gerar is right at the southern tip of where the Gaza Strip is today. That's where Gerar is. And it's on the way to Egypt. And uh, so, so the Lord intervenes. He he. he takes off. Uh, you notice something here. Isaac doesn't pray. This is my first point. Isaac's failure to pray. When you're in a famine and not knowing what to do, it could be a famine of food. It could be a famine of, of uh, a job. It could be famine of, of uh, finances. Ought we not to pray? We should. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't pray. And uh, he, um, he's kind of like his father here. You remember back, clear back in chapter 12, when Abraham, a famine comes, he hauls the mail to Egypt, right? And do you guys know what I mean when he hauls the mail? Pony Express. Hauling the mail, get it? Going fast. Just a little clarification, okay? <laughs> so he, he hauls, hauls the mail down to, to Egypt. Well, well, Egypt is that, is that, that Nile Delta. That at, right at Cairo, it like fingers, the Nile River fingers off into like five or six or eight or ten, I don't even know how many, tributaries. And it's just a, a verdant, very fruitful place. And... Um, and say, well, we ain't getting no rain here. We're drying up. We're out of here. Instead of seeking the Lord. And uh, so God had, had, had promised Abraham. And Abraham went to Egypt. God's given Isaac a promise here. He tells him, don't you go to Egypt. Because this land, I'm, I'm giving you this promised land. Now, Isaac was the promised son. The promised son is supposed to stay in the promised land kind of like you and me, right? Who's our promised son? Jesus. The promised land is a picture of the spirit-filled Christian life, folks, right? Some think, well, it's a picture of heaven. No, it's not. It's a picture of the spirit-filled Christian life. The promised son should have dwellers, which would be you and me. You and I need to be dwelling with Jesus, because a spirit-filled Christian life is just like the promised land. Though it doesn't always look that great. You remember when the children of Israel went into the promised land. They saw it was a land flowing with milk and honey, but there was a problem. <laughs> there was giants, right? And so as they crossed the Jordan, what did they do? Conflict. They get in a battle and they get victory. And they get in a battle and they get victory. And they get in a battle and they get victory. That's the spirit-filled Christian life. And so many people that come to Jesus, they don't, they don't have those eyes on. And so they're just getting their spiritual hind end kicked all over the place. They don't know what to do. 
Well, first they should pray. Isaac should have prayed. He should have he sought the Lord. He, he, he didn't do that. He was, he was going to rip off to Egypt like his, like his father, but praise God, he intervened. Has God intervened in your life? And you got these plans, right? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And the Lord goes, really? We'll see about that. Because you never know what's going to happen, right? You could wreck your car. A family member could die. I mean, you could go belly up. Somebody can steal your identity. Our greatest strength is that God allows us to come before him to pray. It is a good idea to seek the Lord, to inquire of the Lord. Now, it doesn't appear that Isaac does that. And um, could you imagine, could you imagine ever saying, we probably should not have inquired or prayed to the Lord? Could you ever imagine saying that? How ridiculous is that? And yet that's what we do all the time. We don't inquire. We don't pray. And so you think about Joshua. So they're going into the promised land, right? They go to Jericho. God tells them exactly what to do, right? March around the city, blow the trumpets, walls come tumbling down, right? And then they, they go in and they scout out Ai. And the scouts come back and say, little bitty town let's let's just send 3,000 in there we're gonna we're gonna stink and clean the floor with these guys right we're just gonna mop up and they go in there and they get their tails kicked why they didn't seek the Lord had they sought the Lord they would have known right they would have known that Achan had stole something but he didn't go to the Lord before he just thought oh it's same old same old And so in Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 11, it says, And so the Lord said to Joshua, get up, because he's on his face. Now, he's praying after they get their butt kicked, right? He's praying. And the Lord tells him, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. He said, what are you doing? You should have come to me first, and I would have told you. There's sin in the camp. Don't go to Ai, because I'll, I'll give you over to them. And the Lord is pretty good at that. He'll give, give you over to whatever you want. What do you want in your life? You have to be careful about that. I've noticed as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm careful what I want. Because sometimes when you want that, you get that. And sometimes it ain't good for you. And so too with the Lord, if you want the Lord... He'll give you as much as you want. How much do you want? See, some people just want, I just want a little bit. Right, I just, I just want to be cool with God, right? Have a good name here, but not, not be a fanatic. 
how could you be any more fanatical than Jesus? How could you be any more fanatical than Christ? Going to a cross, giving his back, his facial hair to the smiters, being stripped naked, and all the while had the power to destroy those with a word that was doing it to him. How could you be more radical than that? You can't even come close. I don't care if you go out on the street corner every day for the next, till the day you take your last breath proclaiming Jesus. You can't even scratch the surface of how radical he was for you. And so, we get so stuck, right? We can look at the past and think, well, that's how God's gonna work, just like he did then. No, no, he doesn't. He does things so far beyond what we think that it should drive us to our knees daily saying, okay, Lord, what you gonna do today? Okay, now yesterday's gone. You know, the many times that Jesus healed, say like blind people, he never healed one blind person the same way. He never healed any of the blind the same way twice, right? One time he sp would speak to them, one time he would touch them, another time he would spit on the ground, make mud, here's mud in your eye, right? He never did it the same way. And we get stuck thinking, no, this is how God's gonna work, or this is how we should do church, right? Stand up, sit down, yeah, yeah, yeah. But God does things differently every time. And he wants us to be seeking him for, so he can show us what he would like to do. And um, so he tells him, whatever you do, don't go to Egypt. And so he stops him and he uh, listens. You remember David, when he was going to battle, he would ask the Lord, should I go or should I wait? He, he had this down. David had this down, right? And, and because he knew the Lord was with him, he'd wipe out the Philistines here. He says, now go attack the Philistines here, but go this way, do it this way, not that way. Do it this way. And, and that's what God desires from us. Having a ready ear. Lord, I know that you don't work the same way all the time. Uh, you don't use the same person every time. You have your own ways and we just need to be tuned in to you and seeking you and inquiring of you so that we would know that way. Now, having said that about this, about Isaac being much like his father, um, one thing you have to be careful with, and I, I've heard this a lot, I've even heard it from, from some of you, uh, is the thing called a generational curse. The generational curse, right? Um, or generational sins. Um, you know, some think that, well, if your dad was an alcoholic, there's a good chance you're going to be an alcoholic. Well, probably, because there's a lot of booze in the house, right? Um, but but it's, it's more opportunity than it is predetermined, right? You're not predetermined to that. The Lord talks about it in, in Exodus, chapter 20, and it was when he's given the Ten Commandments, this whole generational thing. 
Well, because your dad did it, that's why you did it. No, you're guilty of your own sin, right? Yes, your father probably contributed because he is a sinner. I've noticed that, you know. I was a sinner. I met my wife, who's a sinner. And then we hooked up. We had two sinners in the same house. It was scary. And then we start having these other little sinners. And this is like holy commotion all over the place, right? Um, so do we influence each other? Yes, we influence each other. Are you cursed and predetermined? I don't think so. I think you're bent towards sin, are we not all? We're all bent towards sin. But, but people try to use it, oh, it's just a generational thing. I do it because they did it. No, that's a cop-out, right? That's a cop-out. So this is what he says. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verses four through six. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or it is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor, nor serve them. So he's talking about false worship, right? For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. God visits the sins of the fathers. In other words, it has more of an attraction, right, for somebody who hates God. Their children will be more, have more of a tendency to follow after them. Why? Because there is nothing stopping them. There's nothing there to restrain them. What is the restrainer anyway? The Holy Spirit, right? And so it says he visits, he visits the, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Do you hate God? Your kids are in trouble if you hate God. Big time. Do you love God? Your kids are going to be blessed. In spite of you. <laughs> It is in spite of you, right? Just a guarantee. I, I know people, and I, as I've looked back over the years, and the people that I've known who have grown up in a so-called Christian home, right? The parents would go to church. They would, they would uh, pray. They would uh, proclaim the Lord. And th but then there's the dark side, right? The Bible, Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Somebody said, you know, we're all like the moon. We have a dark side. And, and then there's the dark side or the sin of that family. And uh, I remember hearing of one father that um, actually challenged Satan. He was a believer, but he got puffed up and he told Satan to take his best shot. He said, Satan, take your best shot. <laughs> Not about you. I know how strong Satan is, and I know how strong Jesus is, so I'm going to keep Jesus between me and Satan all the time. That's what you want to do. Keep Jesus between you and Satan. all. The time. So he, he got all puffed up and said, Satan, take your best shot. Within three months, he was divorced, left his wife, ran off with the church secretary. Don't ever ask Satan to take his best shot at you, because he's got a lot better shot than you do. But I look at that man's son, and he's sold out. He's walking with Jesus. It is in spite of this man and his failure. Now, he has since 
right? Come to his senses, praise the Lord, and come back to the Lord. I saw my dad go through the same thing, just running amok. I was embarrassed that he was my dad, but he came back. But just that little bit of influence that that godly family had in spite of all their sin and failure, God got a hold of my life. And so it is with you. And so it is with your kids. That's why it's so important to be faithful. Don't put that hiccup in there for them. You know, I look back and think, we didn't have to go through that. But the Lord's going, well, you did because I had a plan. Right? And I'm going to use it. And I'm going to use it for good. And he does. But check this out. And this is kind of, I got my cart head of my horse, but that's okay. It says, of those who hate me, listen, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. God's merciful to those who would love him. Do we love him perfectly? No, we don't. But do you love him? That's the question. That's what Jesus asked Peter. So you're not predetermined to something. You may choose that because it was readily available. Whether it's pornography, I remember seeing pornography that my dad had. That had an effect on me, obviously. That was a sin of my father, right? Um, but you're not doomed there. Lest you forget 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, right? Therefore, those who are in Christ are a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And Jesus comes and he obliterates sin in your life. The judgment of it, the power of it to shackle you, right? He, he does away with that. He, he came to conquer sin and death. And he did it quite well. And so... Uh, don't use that as, a, as an excuse, the whole generational thing. Because you're in a generation right now where you've heard the gospel, you've heard about Jesus Christ. He's able to break any chain that your parents or, or other loved ones has, has put on your life. Right? He is able to do that. So, so yeah, be careful with that. Uh, verse 6 says, so, let's see here. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar, and the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw there was Isaac showing endearment, one translation is, is caressing. Some say he was flirting with, his, with Rebekah, his wife. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, 
Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, but I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Why didn't he just kill both of them? Right? Why didn't he just kill him? Because God. Right? Because God's hands on their, on their life. You realize you can't die till God's ready for you to die? So, here's the sin of his father, just like his dad. He lies. He's a liar. I think we're all born liars. Right? Let God be true and every man a liar. What caused him to lie? Fear. Fear will cause you to lie all the time. Fear still causes you to lie. I'm a liar. Are you? And I'm a liar because I'm a man, but I need Jesus to bring truth so, to my heart so I won't lie. Because I'm bent towards lying, and so are you. Uh, when you're a liar, you have to have a really good memory. Right? When you lie, you have to have a really good memory because you have to remember what you said. So it's just so much easier that if, if you would just, just tell the truth. Um, and he got caught showing affection to his bride. <laughs> Notice what, the, isn't it? It's just so humiliating when the world rebukes you. How could you, he says, right? How could you have done this to us? And, and then um, he says, you would have brought a curse on us. You're, why'd you do this to us? Why, shouldn't he, why didn't he just tell the truth? And so often I've been rebuked by the world and it's just, it's so humiliating. I remember... <laughs> First year, we had a football team at Calvary Chapel High School. First football team. We go out to Butte County. We play Butte County, and they kick our butts. And, and we're, we're talking, and, and I'm sitting here. I don't know if they think, know that I'm one of the coaches or not, but I'm sitting here, and, and there's several, and I know several of the people from Butte County. So we're sitting there talking, and, and um, one adult says, well, what was it like playing those Christian kids? And this kid from Butte County, looked, he looked at us like, those kids are not Christians. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to go crawl in a hole, right? Because they were getting chippy, I think, and throwing an F-bomb around here and there at the other kids, and mainly because they were getting their hind ends kicked. But I just thought, that's terrible. That's a rebuke from the world, right? Where we should be above reproach. And Isaac gets rebuked by the world. But even though he fails, right? He, he fails to pray. He lies about his wife. God is with him. God is with you in all your failures. Does that mean God condones your failures? Absolutely not, right? Paul says, should we sin that God could be glorified? God forbid, 
that that happens. But that is what seems to happen, right? That God works in spite of us. Years ago, I had a friend, his name was Joe Foscalina. Joe was an awesome dude, loved the Lord. But he, he ended up at this party. And at the party, he had, a, he had a beer in his hand. And somebody at the party, they recognized this guy and said, hey, aren't you, aren't you on the board of FCA, which FCA is a fellowship of Christian, FCC, F, Fellowship of Christian Cowboys. He goes, aren't you on the board of Fellowship of Christian Cowboys? He goes, yeah, I am. He's got a Bud Light in his hand. And the guy looks at him and goes, what are you doing here? Right? When people know that you call yourself a Christian, they hold you to way up here. They hold you to a really high standard. And they're watching. They're watching how you talk, what you laugh at, what kind of drink is in your hand, where you go, how you drive. I am in big trouble. They put you under a microscope. Isaac, though he didn't plan to be, he has put himself under this microscope. Telling the truth is always the best, right? Because then you just let the chips fall. You don't have to remember what you said because you tell the truth. John 8, 32 tells us that the truth makes us free. Uh, John 17, 17 says it's God's word. Uh, listen to what 2 Thessalonians says about the truth. I love this because I think I mentioned it last week. The truth is a person. It's Jesus. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Who's not Who's perishing? Those who did not receive the love of the truth. That they might be, they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. So it's something that we should believe in. It's something that we should speak. It's something that we should live. How would you like to be called, that person is truthful. That person is full of the truth. Oh, how I'd like to be accused of that. So, if he just would have told the truth, he wouldn't have had some of these issues here. In verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in, the land, in that land, Gerar, and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became, uh, began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had possession of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. And so he stayed there. He planted. God began to prosper him. This is the third thing, which is 
Isaac's prosperity. First, Isaac's failure to pray. Secondly, Isaac's lie. Thirdly, Isaac's prosperity. And so they were so jealous of his prosperity that they started plugging up his wells. And so, like, it is in spite of his failure to seek the Lord that God blesses his life, right? So here we see it. And, and, and people ask why all the time. Prosperity is a double-edged sword. Prosperity scares me to death. In fact, prosper, others' prosperity is like, it's like bitter to people's soul because they get so upset about people being prosperous. Well, how come they? They don't deserve that. And you do. Really? We get so upset about people prospering. And God can prosper. The Bible says he prospers whoever he wants. He raises one up. He brings him down. He can raise up or bring down anybody he wants. And so, why is it that the Philistines are envious? It's because he's prospering. David struggled with this. King David, you remember King David, he had bucket loads of gold and silver, and yet he struggled when people prospered. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. It's kind of a long psalm, but I'm going to read it to you. Oh. Okay, I'm not going to read it to you. We're going to run out of time. You read it for yourself. Psalm 73, it's awesome. So it says, but he said, I'll, I'll read a, few, a little bit of it. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do you get upset when you see wicked people prosper? You know what? What if... What if God allowing a wicked person to prosper is just God's mercy toward that person? Because that's all they get is this life. That's it. Done. Finito. Right? Let your gold save you. Can it? No, it, it can't even scratch your itch. And David was so upset and he struggled with this until you get to verse 17. And then he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God and I understood their end. God just in his mercy lets people prosper and just spend their way right into hell. I know I've told you guys this over and over again, but it's my favorite Rick Warren quote, especially after he wrote A Purpose Driven Life and became a millionaire. Rick said this, he said, it is not a sin to be rich. It is a sin to die rich, right? In other words, if God has blessed you, you best be blessing others. And so... This is a vicious thing. 
why in America we could have this kind of envy and jealousy. The Bible talks about it, about envy and jealousy. Proverbs 14, 30, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who was able to stand before jealousy? God hates these things. And yet so often we're guilty of these things. Why can't we just rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Rejoice when somebody's prospered. Good on you, man. Just know that it grows wings and flies away. <laughs> That's what Psalm says, right? Riches grows wings and flies away. David said, if, you, if your riches increase, don't set your heart on them. Well, if you're not going to set your heart on the riches that you don't have yet, why would you set your heart on the riches of someone else and become embittered in your heart because they've been prosperous? It's absolute foolishness, but so many are so guilty of it. Jealousy and envy is hating those who are prosperous and should have no place in a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ's life. No place at all at all. So why was Isaac prosperous? We see his sin, right? We see where he's fallen short of God's glory. Why does anybody prosper? Because God lets them. Not only that, but God keeps his promise to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Your people are going to be prosperous. The Jewish people are the most prosperous people in the world. Well, that's why I hate them then. Isn't that true? Yeah, that's, that's why I hate them. I can play stupid, but I am stupid sometimes. God, they are prosperous because God promised Abraham they would be. And his promises, 50%, check this out, 50% of the billionaires in the U.S. are Jewish. 50%, half of them. And yet they only make up 1.4% of the U.S. population. Well, that ain't no fair. It's wild. I read this article, so i got to share it with you. More than 100 of the 400 billionaires on Forbes' list of the wealthiest people in America are Jews. Six of the 20 uh, leading uh, venture capital funds in the U.S. belong to Jews, according to Forbes. Google founder Sergey Brin uh, has a Jewish father. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg is, is Jewish, as is deputy, his deputy, David Fisher, and um, the son of Bank of Israel Governor Stan, Stanley Fisher, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Ben Shalom Bernanke, is Jewish also, as his predecessor, Alan Greenspan, and Fed founder, Paul Warburg. Here's all these, these very, very rich people. But like David said, if they don't come to Christ, <laughs> they've had their heaven. That's, that's all they get. 
That prosperity just can't. Jesus warned us. He warned us about it. Do you realize every single person sitting in this room is considered rich? Monetarily, I'm not talking about faith. I'm talking about monetarily, everyone sitting in this room is rich compared to the rest of the world. Notice what Jesus said about it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Hard. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) Now, these guys took this to heart. They probably wouldn't tell you that they were rich, but this was their response to what Jesus said. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? We're all sunk. Who can be saved? It's, it's, it's apparent that if you have riches, you can be saved, but when riches have you, you can't be saved because that's your God. It finances will rival your faith every time because you will make decisions according to what you have instead of according to what God wants. Well, we can do this. You should say, Lord, do you want us to do this? So, according to world stats, Americans are 90% of the richest people in the world. So our prosperity, I think, can be in faith. It's better to be rich in faith than to be rich with monetary wealth. Over the years, from what I've seen, because I I worked in certain different circles where I was uh, exposed to people with a lot of wealth, Those are some weird people. People with a lot of wealth are strange people. And so prosperity has always scared me. And and I think that's a good thing. That's a healthy fear. Prosperity should scare you. Lest it slip in there, slither in, and convince you that you can trust in prosperity instead of the Lord. So, So Isaac is prospering. God's blessing him. And he... Starts digging wells. He get, gets, in, not a lot has changed, right? They're still fighting over water. Right? Got any farmers in, in, in the house? How many farmers I got? Isham, don't hide. Both of you. Yeah. Without water, death. Right? Without water, death. So I got to get back there because I got to read this real quick. It's a, it's a first, first mention. And um, 
It's in verse 17. And it says, Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again wells and of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped up. Where was that? I just lost myself. <laughs> and Isaac dug again the wells of the water that had they had dug in the days of Abraham for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he called them by their names which his father had called them and also Isaac's servant dug in the valley and found a well of running water there but the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying the water is ours and so he called the name of the place Esek which is coral right this is the first mention of an artesian well can you imagine have you seen Gerar, have you seen Gaza? It is a desolate hole. And here, all of a sudden, there's this artesian well, water running. Who wouldn't fight over that, right? Because water is life. And so they get in a squabble with these herdsmen, and it says, uh, the water is ours. And so we call the name of 